Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Good Food First Quarter of Fiscal Year 2022 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. As a courtesy to others, we ask that each participant limit themselves to one question and one follow-up. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. Please note that questions will be taken from financial analysts only. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, January 18, 2022 at eight o'clock a.m. Eastern time. Furthermore, I would like to remind you that today's presentation may contain forward-looking statements about Good Foods' current and future plans, expectations and intentions, results, level of activity, performance, goals or achievements, or other future events or developments. As such, please take a moment to read the disclaimer on forward-looking statements on slide two of the presentation. I would like to turn the meeting over to your host for today's call, Jonathan Ferrari, Good Food Chief Executive Officer, you may begin. Thank you. Bonjour à tous et bienvenue à l'appel conférence de marché Good Food pour présenter nos résultats financiers du premier trimestre et de l'exercice 2022 euh, clos ce 4 décembre. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this call for Good Food Market Corp to present our financial results for the first quarter of fiscal 22 ended December 4th, 2021. I'm pleased to be joined on the call today by Neil Kuggy, Good Foods President and Chief Operating Officer, and Jonathan Reuter, Chief Financial Officer. Our press release this morning uh, reported our first quarter results, uh, which was published earlier this morning. It can be found on our website at makegoodfood.ca and on CDAR. Please be aware that we will refer to certain metrics and non-IFRS measures. Where possible, these measures are identified and reconciled to the most comparable IFRS measures in our MDNA. Finally, let me remind you that all figures expressed on today's call are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise stated. Now, turning to slide three, which outlines the key highlights of our first quarter and up-to-date results of our recently launched 30-minute on-demand delivery service. We were pleased with our overall performance this quarter, which was the first full quarter since early fiscal 2020, in which COVID-19 restrictions had minimal impact on the daily lives of Canadians. Against this backdrop, the quarter's net sales of $78 million were stable versus the previous quarter, which benefited from strong demand in June as COVID-19 restrictions were still in place, offset by the expected seasonal lows and the lessening of COVID-19 restrictions during July and August. In addition, the positive momentum we saw with the return to sequential quarter-over-quarter -quarter active customer growth and rebounding order rates positions us well as we head into the remainder of the year. As discussed at our last earnings call, during the first quarter, we began to take measures that we expect to lead the continued progressive improvements to our adjusted EBITDA margin versus our fourth quarter cost structure. As a result of improved efficiencies in our operations and SGNA cost improvements in the first quarter, our gross margin and adjusted EBITDA margin sequen sequentially rose by 110 and 370 basis points, respectively, versus the previous quarter. Consequently, as we continue to implement uh, efficiencies and cost containment initiatives, we expect to see progressive improvement in our quarterly adjusted EBITDA loss position as we initially work our way back to break-even position and then towards our long-term 
10 to 15% adjusted EBITDA goal. Finally, we are especially delighted with the launch of Canada's first vertically integrated 30-minute grocery and meal solutions delivery offering. Over the past two years, we have built the backbone and infrastructure to enable the fast delivery of groceries and meal solutions to Canadians. As you will recall, we launched our Good Food Wow same day or next day delivery in the summer of 2020. And as aligned with our previously communicated strategy, we have consistently reduced delivery time since then, going from a, a same day basis to a few hours and today to in as little as 30 minutes. We are very excited to have, as of this week, 13,000 on-demand quarterly active customers, placing orders growing at 15% weekly over the past five weeks, with run rate sales before incentives and credits of $21 million. Torontonians and Montrealers are loving their experience, as our net promoter score consistently over 80 demonstrates. We celebrated the opening of our third local micro-fulfillment center in Toronto last week and are excited to bring fast on-demand deliveries of good food products to even more customers in the GTA. We will continue to grow our network and on-demand availability with three additional facilities to launch by the end of March and multiple prime new locations identified and being executed on. On that note, over to John Reuter to review our financial performance in detail. Thank you, Jonathan, and good morning, everyone. I will now turn to slide four, which provides details on our top-line performance. The first quarter net sales showed stability compared to the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021. As a reminder, the fourth quarter includes the month of June, which was a near record month in terms of demand, and the month of July, and August, which were significantly impacted by both seasonality and the reopening of the Canadian hospitality industry, as most COVID-19 restrictions had been lifted. As such, with average weekly orders in the first quarter of fiscal 2022, increasing 15% compared to July and August, as active customers also returned to growth, net sales were stable at $78 million this quarter. As our evolution into an on-demand online grocer and meal solution provider continues, we expect orders and active customers to be driven by the adoption of our quick commerce delivery of grocery and meal solution. As mentioned by Jonathan, our launch of on-demand delivery only began in November and as a result has had very limited impact on the first quarter results. As the existing micro-fulfillment centers ramp up over the coming quarters and new ones are launched, we expect our on-demand strategy to progressively drive the majority of our top-line growth over the coming quarters and years. Please now turn to slide five, which looks at our profitability level. This quarter's gross margin and adjusted EBITDA margin mark the beginning of our expected progressive improvement in profitability. Gross margin improved 110 basis points compared to the fourth quarter, driven primary by, primarily by improved efficiencies in our operations and SG&A, and a more stable workforce driving productivity gains. Turning to adjusted EBITDA, our margin improved 370 basis points, driven by the aforementioned gross margin improvement, as well as selling general and administrative cost reduction initiative, initiatives which includes a multi-quarter headcount reduction effort expected to generate 11 to $13 million of annualized savings compared to the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021. It is important to note that while we are committed to progressively narrowing our adjusted EBITDA loss in the coming quarters, our primary objective is to ensure we continue to invest in key people, technology, product portfolio, and customer acquisition efforts as we build out our national on-demand delivery platform, which we expect to be the driver of a return of an attractive, sustainable net sales growth rate. As a result, in our pursuit to unlock and capture a disproportionate share of what we estimate can quickly become as traditional brick and mortar shopping is replaced with a superior on-demand value proposition 
a $30 billion on-demand grocery meal solution addressable market, the path to break-even adjust EBITDA will be achieved while balancing growth and profitability. Turning to slide six for a review of cash flows and capital expenditures. Cash flows used in operations, operating activities totaled $18.9 million this quarter, compared to $23.7 million use of cash flows from operating activities in the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021. The improvement was the result of a smaller net loss and improved working capital management. We invested $12 million in capital expenditures this quarter. The capital invested was mainly related to equipment deposits, leasehold improvements to new and existing facilities and the build out of parts of our technological platform. Some of these investments relate to footprint initiatives made last year with payments only going out this quarter. These investments are acting as a cornerstone to the build to build the physical and technological infrastructure to support the scaling of our on-demand delivery network in Toronto and Montreal, as well as the launch of on-demand deliveries in Ottawa in the coming months. In addition, investments to open our digital platform to non-subscribers are also part of our CapEx spend. In the coming year, we will continue to invest capital in building the on-demand grocery network and infrastructure that will enable superior customer experience and solidify Good Foods' position as Canada's leading vertically integrated on-demand grocery and meal solution provider. While these investments are paramount in building out our on-demand network and leadership, we expect the remaining CapEx for the year to be approximately $25 million. Lastly, we ended the quarter with cash and cash equivalents of $105 million, in addition to revolver availability, which continues to provide significant balance sheet flexibility to execute on our growth strategy. Turning to our financial outlook, we view 2022 as an important transitory year on a couple of fronts. For most of the fourth quarter of 2021 and all of the first quarter of 2022, COVID-19 restrictions have been greatly relaxed throughout Canada. With essentially stable net sales over the past two quarters, our first quarter 2022 net sales are approximately 40% higher than our second quarter of fiscal 2020, which is our last comparable quarter pre-pandemic. Since the relaxation of COVID-19 restrictions in 2021, we've had a consistent and stable order level. As we look forward, we are excited by the upward momentum our on-demand grocery and meal solution strategy is providing to our net sales base. Extrapolating the results of our first two micro-fulfillment centers to the additional four launched or scheduled to be launched by the end of March and a stable weekly subscription order profile we have experienced, we are confident we will turn to net sales growth as we continue to scale and roll out our MFC network. On that note, I will turn back to Jonathan Ferrari to provide an update on our key business priorities and our on-demand strategy. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Thank you. I'll now turn to slide seven. <clears throat> we are also excited with the developments that highlight the progress we made in our strategy to build Canada's first integrated on-demand online grocery network. The metrics we have observed since launch across adoption and retention rates, as well as unit economics, are ahead of our expectations 
and we look forward to building on that early momentum. We will drive long-term shareholder value by executing on three core priorities. We want to one, grow on-demand active customers, two, expand our on-demand coverage, and three, improve our profitability. Expanding on these three priorities, firstly, we aim to build on the positive quarter-over-quarter quarter sequential active customer growth momentum we observed this quarter, increasing both the penetration of good food and the frequency of orders placed by our shoppers. The two key catalysts to order growth are continuing to provide delicious, unique, and differentiated grocery, meal kit, and ready-to-eat products to our customers, and growing the number of on-demand active customers. Secondly, to grow the number of on-demand active customers, we will expand our footprint of on-demand facilities, beginning with Canada's two largest markets, Toronto and Montreal. Our hub-and-spoke fulfillment model is well advanced, particularly at the hub level, with manufacturing facilities in both the East and West Coast, and a large-scale distribution center in Montreal, capable of handling expected mid-term Eastern Canada demand. The spokes are low CapEx, local micro-fulfillment centers, will grow in count as we look to increase the availability of our 30-minute delivery service to more Canadians. Thirdly, we will continue to focus on improving our profitability levels and look to achieve progressive improvements in margins. Our gross margin is showing progressive signs of improvement this quarter, and efficiency initiatives have begun to yield results with a 370 basis point increase in adjusted EBITDA margin. As we continue to implement initiatives to offset the recent inflationary pressures, and by growing orders and by extension net sales, we expect to make continued progress on adjusted EBITDA margin expansion. Turning to slide eight, to share exciting recent developments in our on-demand strategy. The results we have seen since our November launch of on-demand grocery and meal solutions delivered in as little as 30 minutes are significantly ahead of expectations and already confirm both the product market fit that will drive exciting growth for years to come while providing attractive unit economics. I'll begin with three core metrics that provide visibility on the explosive growth we are seeing with our on-demand groceries and meal solution offering. Firstly, we now count, after only eight weeks of launch, over 13,000 on-demand active customers, a more than 50% increase, generating run rate sales before incentives and credits of $21 million. Secondly, as shoppers order, on average, the equivalent of about eight baskets per quarter, nearly double the order frequency of our subscription plan, we have seen, thirdly, over the past five weeks, orders growth rates of 15% per week, providing the clearest indication of exponential size of the net sales opportunity in front of us. Similarly, let me share the three core metrics that are driving the attractive unit economics of our on-demand grocery and meal solution offering. Beginning with basket sizes, the larger the basket size, the more dollars are available to offset fixed costs that each order has, such as the last mile delivery, which I will come back to shortly. Since launch, we have seen the average basket size increase with average order sizes now in the $65 to $70 range, well ahead of the global quick commerce competition. Our larger basket size is driven by our unique merchandising strategy that provides Canadians with both their daily groceries and delicious meal solutions while saving them time and money. The second metric when assessing unit economics is retention rates. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the net promoter scores of over 80 which we saw, the customers that were part of the initial November cohort, they ordered more in December than they did in November, leading to an order retention rate of 100, 110%. Thirdly, let me provide some color on last mile delivery 
or more specifically, the metric we are managing, deliveries per hour, or DPH for short. When we open a micro-fulfillment center, we begin by temporarily funneling a portion of our pre-planned subscription meal kit orders through the facility, providing immediate volume and positively impacting the site's delivery per hour. With the rapid order growth each of our MFCs are observing, we have already reached three deliveries per hour within a three kilometer radius. As we build out coverage in a given city and build density, we are well positioned to achieve our at scale target of five plus deliveries per hour, ultimately representing a delivery cost as low as $4 per order. Based on both the existing growth profile and unit economics we have seen with our first two micro-fulfillment centers, I am pleased to announce the continued scaling of our network, beginning with our third local micro-fulfillment center in the west of the GTA, servicing Oakville, Mississauga, and other neighborhoods, which we opened late last week. In addition, with three more facilities scheduled to open before the end of March, providing on-demand groceries and meal solutions to a growing number of Canadians, we are positioned to build a market-leading position. For the full fiscal year 2022, we believe we can launch eight-plus micro-fulfillment centers overall, providing roughly $160 million of annual on-demand capacity, which will serve as the platform to return to year-over-year -year growth beginning as early as the summer or fall of 2022. In addition, we have built the internal infrastructure to support the growth of our network to more than a billion in sales by 2025. Our on-demand delivery initiative is off to a fast start, and we are excited to see our catalyst for online grocery penetration gain scale in the coming quarters and years. On that note, I will turn it over to the operator for the Q&A portion of this call. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then a number one on your telephone keypad. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, press star one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Martin Landry from Stiefel. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, guys. My, uh, my first question, Jonathan, is just on your last comments. I just want to make sure that I understood correctly. You said that um, you expect revenue growth to return um, this summer or, or the fall of 2022. I'm not sure if I understood correctly, but is that, did you mean total company-wide revenue growth? Hey, good morning, Martin. Uh, yeah, if we look at the year-over-year -year, uh, comparisons, uh, I would say what we're looking at is year-over-year uh, -year revenue growth um, likely uh, returning to the overall business um, this summer or this fall. Um, if we look at our uh, uh, pre-COVID uh, weekly orders, um, the business today on, on the weekly meal kit subscription uh, continues to be about 40% above uh, the pre-pandemic levels. So as we work through the uh, uh, quarter kind of the quarterly comparisons year over year throughout this year. Um, we'll see the year over year growth uh, return later in uh, 2022. And I think the best way to think about uh, our business is the weekly uh, meal plan subscriptions are stable, profitable. Um, we're really making sure that the weekly uh, meal subscriptions are as profitable as possible to be able to fund uh, our growth initiatives uh, on the on-demand side. And on the on-demand side of the business, we're selling our meal kits, uh, grocery products, uh, prepared foods, uh, and we're really seeing explosive growth and, and really amazing traction uh, from a customer perspective. So what's happening here is uh, we're responding to uh, customer demand and a customer need to have our products uh, distributed to our customers in a different channel. And so we're seeing a lot of potential on the on-demand side and uh, and stable orders on, on the weekly plan, meal plan. Okay. And maybe just a follow-up to that. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can speak on, on the competitive dynamic of the, um, the meal kit business currently. Um, 
you know, I understand that there's been a boost with COVID, but I w- I'm wondering, um, you know, do, do you see your, your competitors being more aggressive to acquire customers? And, um, you know, do, do you, did you lose a market share in the milk business in Canada this fall? Um, so I would say the, um, the competition continues to remain stable on the um, uh, weekly meal plan side. Um, there tends to be um, uh, lower marketing activities during uh, the summer months, and then it tends to pick up uh, in the fall uh, and in the early winter. Um, from a market share perspective, uh, it, we believe that we've uh, uh, maintained um, our market share on, on the weekly uh, meal kit subscription side. Uh, and on a longer-term perspective, uh, we think that being able to offer our meal kits both through our uh, weekly subscription and through our on-demand channels will allow us to grow the total number of meal kit portions that we're selling across Canada. So it's really up to the customer to decide if they want to sign up to a weekly meal plan and get the convenience of <clears throat> pre-scheduled orders, or if they want to uh, engage with our meal kits and other products in a more flexible way. And ultimately, we think that these two distribution channels will serve as a catalyst for us to continue growing our overall uh, meal kit portions across Canada. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Your next question comes from Frédéric Tremblay with Desjardins. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Um, first question for me, I was wondering if you could maybe uh, dig a dig deeper uh, in terms of the order composition in, in on-demand grocery, given the significantly higher uh, average order value than some of your peers, um, is that mainly driven by um, customers adding meal kits, or are they just, in your in your opinion, adding more of your, uh, your private label grocery products? Hey, good morning. Uh, yeah, so um, if you look at the key to making uh, the economics work and to making on-demand uh, deliveries profitable, one of the key indicators there is the basket size. And so we're at two or three X uh, the basket size of other uh, global on-demand peers. Um, if you look at the breakdown of our on-demand basket, um, we're at about a third of the basket um, that is uh, meal kits. Um, about uh, a little bit over 50% of the basket is our grocery products. Um, and uh, the remainder of it is our prepared uh, ready-to-eat meals. So we're still in the early days. The, the composition can shift. But the fact that we have um, close to half the basket or 45% of the basket that's uh, prepared meals and meal kits um, it really gives us the opportunity to offer a differentiated basket to the customer versus what uh, other competitors can, can offer. And these are also high-margin products um, that um, uh, are at larger average sale prices than a typical grocery products. So the, the mix that we've developed uh, in our merchandising is really unique uh, in the market, and it balances uh, creating this differentiated customer offering um, that our customers are loving and making sure that the economics of the overall baskets uh, can work uh, from a unit economics perspective. That's helpful. Thank you. And uh, just on the, uh, the 13,000 uh, active customers in, in on-demand, um, do you have a sense of how many of those customers are totally new to good food, uh, meaning that they're not um, you know, previously weekly meal kit customers that have transitioned to on-demand? And I guess related to that as well, what proportion of the addressable market of the two fulfillment centers does 13,000 customers represent? Like, what's your early penetration rate in your in your estimation? So, in terms of the customers, um, more than half of them uh, are completely uh, new to good food. Um, and the other metric I can share is um, within 10 weeks uh, of launch, 
we've been able to uh, fill about uh, a third of the capacity of the MFCs that we've built out. Um, so uh, we're, what we're seeing is um, because of the strong, robust demand uh, from the on-demand side, we're able to scale uh, our MFCs more quickly than expected. And so that's uh, really generating positive results on all of our uh, underlying, underlying uh, unit economic metrics. Um, so, so from a profitability perspective, in addition to um, the average order value, um, we talked a little bit about the deliveries per hour, uh, which is another key metric uh, that's extremely important for the attractive uh, unit economics. Um, so from, from a deliveries per hour perspective, scaling more quickly and getting uh, a significant amount of demand is allowing us to hit that three uh, DPH uh, number uh, within a, a radius around our MFCs, the three kilometer radius that I mentioned in the script. Um, and, and our intent is to be able to, as we uh, continue to uh, fill the capacity of the MFCs and build more density in the route, uh, we expect to be able to get above um, five deliveries per hour. And so that'll represent um, somewhere around a $4 delivery cost. Um, and then the, the other two things that are important from a unit economics perspective, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the positive uh, retention. So uh, customers that are signing up within any given month are actually ordering uh, more good food deliveries in their second month. Uh, and so that's another really positive contributor to the, uh, to the unit economics, that um, uh, negative churn. Um, so uh, what we're seeing right now is in addition to the quick growth that we're talking about, all of the underlying economic uh, metrics are progressing really well, and uh, we're excited to keep you guys updated. Thank you, and congrats on the early progress and on demand. Your next question comes from Ty Collin with 8 Capital. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Uh, we're starting to hear about some food delivery companies building out dark stores and trying to expand into the grocery space. I'm just wondering, how would you characterize the threat from those players, and how will good food compete against new entrants who might already have a, a larger installed base and some established root density? Thanks. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for the question. Um, so uh, we um, uh, heard, I, I believe it was Skip the Dishes um, that announced um, uh, the launch of uh, Dark Stores. Um, from the Skip the Dishes perspective, uh, our understanding is um, that their focus is really on building uh, a convenience-oriented uh, basket, so a, kind of a more of a C-store basket. Um, so from a, a merchandising perspective and from a, a facilities build-out perspective, it looks a bit different than what we're building. Um, so Good Foods' intent is really to build uh, a replacement to brick-and-mortar grocery stores. And so the, the footprint and merchandising is different. Um, we also have um, eight years of, of operating experience as a team in scaling um, a supply chain and a network of physical uh, fulfillment centers. And so, um, uh, you know, in, in addition to uh, having the expertise around running good courier and having um, our own fleet of couriers across the country that can uh, fulfill our logistics needs, uh, we also have that experience in, in terms of supply chain and scaling. So between um, our, our operational capabilities, uh, the technology we've built, our good courier fleet, and our differentiated merchandising, uh, we think good food is really in, a, in an excellent position um, to build a, a replacement to brick and mortar grocery shopping. Uh, and over time, we believe we'll see 50% uh, uh, of our customers' uh, weekly grocery shopping shift uh, online to Good Foods On Demand offering. Got it. Thanks for that. And this is for my follow-up. Uh, we're seeing inflation continue to accelerate here, and I know that Good Foods historically been able to manage that uh, partially by rotating menu items and ingredients. I, I just imagine that's not as easy to do with grocery items, given that customers are, are probably looking for some more consistency there. Uh, so is inflation more of a risk as the grocery business grows, and what can the company uh, 
due to manage inflation and grocery SKUs specifically? Thanks. Yeah, great question. Um, so I think similar to we to what we had experienced early days uh, of growth uh, on the meal kit side, we've been able to renegotiate uh, volume discounts um, through uh, through some of the the early success that we've seen in on demand. So whatever we've been able to uh, negotiate for uh, for from our buying power has mostly gone back into uh, into price. Um, the other thing is uh, is obviously owning 80 uh, percent of the SKUs in terms of private label branding gives us uh, much more flexibility on how we can price products. We don't have um, Pepsi or uh, Unilever telling us how to price the products. We're able to uh, use our analytics to say, okay, at this price, we're gonna sell uh, much more and ultimately deliver uh, better uh, value to customers and better margin to the, uh, to the company. Um, and uh, finally, uh, you know, we, we, over the long term, as we've said in the milk kit business as well, uh, as prices do go up for raw material and commodities, uh, ultimately we need to pass those uh, prices on to consumers. But we think in the early days we can uh, we can use the first two levers to offset a lot of that. Thanks for the questions, guys. Your next question comes from George Dume from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Um, I just wanted to ask you on on the incentive cost to us um, for that twenty million. 21 million run rate number that you guys uh, revenue side that you guys quoted for on demand. Maybe you give us a sense a little bit in terms of what those incentive costs are and how they're trending. Maybe. Thanks. Hey, good morning, uh, George. Um, so the, our current uh, uh, offer um, from a customer acquisition perspective on the, the on demand uh, uh, new customer acquisition is uh it's $30 off the first two baskets. Um, so if you look at our average basket sizes, um, you know, it's around uh, a 45% off the first uh, two baskets. Um, our customers uh, on demand are placing um, close to twice the number of orders uh, per month that our uh, Good Food Meal Plan subscribers are placing. So we're actually able to um, get through those uh, incentives uh, within the first month of uh, customers signing up, um, and then uh, post those incentives. We're selling, uh, you know, there's no other um, uh, specific ordering incentives that um, that we're offering other than regular discounts at, at product level. Um, so we're able to. Uh, um, start earning a positive uh, contribution margin on orders um, quite quickly within the first month. Um, and we have about seven to eight orders uh, per quarter uh, per on-demand customer. Um, so it really compares quite favorably uh, versus the uh, unit economics of the meal kit subscription on a weekly basis. Thanks for that, John. So at this point, to... there's no real need. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, George, just to, to add to that. So um, similar to the early days of the meal kit offering, um, as we said, more than half of the customers in the 13,000 have been new, net new to good food. So that obviously dragged down the margin uh, in the uh, in the early high growth days and the overall margin for ODG is is, uh, is quite positive, but net uh, lower uh, than the uh, the overall business. So we're, we're really excited about the, uh, the progress we made on that side and the fact that it pays back uh, much quicker is uh, is helping us uh, reduce incentives over time, and um, you know the marketing team is uh, is churning through all the data to uh, to optimize that spend. Okay, okay, that's helpful. Thanks, guys. And and um, to your earlier uh, discussion around kind of getting to that five plus uh, targeted deliveries per hour, uh, I understand this is probably a difficult question to answer, but can you maybe give us a sense as to when you think uh, we can get to those levels? Yeah, so um, we we actually see those levels at certain times of the day already today. So uh, we have very good confidence that uh, we'll be able to um, continue to uh, to hit that for the overall business. Um, right now, as we said, we uh, we see it as a competitive advantage to be able to leverage our, our weekly meal kit uh, orders to uh, to break down our cost delivery, um, and um, and batching will go. 
uh, into that quite a bit as well. Um, in Toronto and Montreal, over the last two days, we've had quite a bit of uh, snowstorms. So our uh, our batching has been very high, although our DPH has been uh, very low because of the, uh, the snowstorm. So the more we can batch um, and uh, the, uh, the better uh, optimization of our routing, um, the better the DPH will be. Uh, but like I said, we see it we see it at core parts of the day already, and um, our optimistic will be able to uh, hit that um, quicker and quicker with every new launch of our MFC. Great. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from Paul Trevor with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Oh, thanks so much, and good morning. Uh, just want to focus on, on margins and profitability for a second. You know, the, the uptick here is, is directionally positive. Um, when, you know, with the plan to reach year-over-year -year revenue growth, um, you know, a positive year-over-year -year revenue growth by the summer or the fall, you know, how should we think about cash flow uh, and the timing for cash flow break-even? Hey, Paul, thanks for the question. Um, Look, as John laid out, uh, we see the top line uh, growth coming back in, in the summer and fall as our on-demand, uh, as we continue to see the explosive growth that we're seeing, and as we continue to add additional uh, micro-fulfillment centers. Ultimately, um, we're going to be balancing um, the reinvestment in customer acquisition, in, in our, of our cash, in customer acquisitions, so our growth, and ultimately, um, as well as uh, Coming close to a, a, a break even from a cash flow perspective, so there's not a there's, you know I'm not giving a clear uh, uh, timeline for that, but I would say that as we head into 2023, so the following year, we'll have a, a significantly larger uh, revenue base. We'll have our fulfillment centers um, contributing from a positive perspective, at least the ones that have a, a longer tenure, uh, contributing from a positive uh, perspective, from a cash flow perspective, and as a result, we'll start seeing um, the closure of the gap, if you will, of, uh, of our current cash flow from operations. We're still working, uh, there's still lots of room we could do on our working capital management. Uh, I think you, you, you probably saw in the first quarter improvements uh, that we had versus, versus our fourth quarter. So we're still continuing to improve what we can do there and ultimately um, continue to drive to get to a, a break even from a, a cash flow perspective uh, as we look forward. And from a cash perspective, I mean, you have 105 million uh, on the balance sheet right now. You know, how much is needed for the the day-to-day -day operations? Um, and then, you know, from a liquidity point of view, uh, you have the the revolver. You know, how much is available on the on the revolver um, at the at the moment? Hey, Paul. Yeah. So, look, we have um, significant amount of uh, balance sheet flexibility. You know, ultimately, we can uh, toggle our growth versus uh, our cash spend. And so with the results that we're seeing, um, you know, with the two, uh, the two centers, the third one that just opened and the additional that we see by the, by the end of March, um, we're really excited by the growth profile that we're seeing. And I think, you know, just as importantly, we're, we're impressed by the unit economics that they're already uh, delivering. So, look, we're going we're gonna to balance um, growth. Uh, as well as uh, the, the, the spend on cash or the use of cash. But with uh, you know, additional $20 million in our revolver, uh, there's still a lot of, lot of flexibility that we have from a balance sheet perspective. And as I talked about before, I think there's still uh, some levers that we have on uh, working capital management as well that will help. And Paul, maybe just to add to that, like the some of the capex that we had this quarter, as we mentioned in the script, was from previous quarters and just working through the payment cycles on some of the um, the hub pieces of the network. So making sure that the DC is uh, is up and running in place. Um, the Ottawa facility that we mentioned will be launching by March is our first automated uh, micro-fulfillment center. Um, so those are some of the bigger CapEx spends, which will start to uh, to reduce as a percentage of what we're uh, overall spending in CapEx. Um, and each uh, each MFC we've, uh, we've subsequently launched and are in the process of launching has come down in terms of costs as we've been able to to look at what uh, what customers care about and what we need to operate these things, so we have a lot more flexibility in launching a one M one MFC per uh, X number of days or weeks or months uh, versus the uh, the larger kind of six to nine month projects which we've been uh, investing in uh, to uh, to support the scaling. 
Okay, thank you for uh, speaking through those moving parts and uh, explaining the flexibility there. I'll pass on, thank you. And your next question comes from Michael Glenn with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm just a question on the SGNA cuts, and I'm just wondering, like, when you're looking at your SGNA line, and you are making some cuts there, but at the same time, you're talking about this uh, a very attractive growth opportunity in front of you. So, how, how do you balance cutting SGNA and then? growing other parts of the business at the same time. And I'm just trying to understand that dynamic a little bit better. Hey, good morning, uh, Michael. So I think that the best way to to think about the business uh, is through our two different um, distribution channels. And so from a, a weekly meal plan perspective, uh, it's, it's a stable, uh, profitable uh, distribution channel inside of the business. While the on-demand side is really what we're building and, and scaling up in terms of network and <clears throat> capturing the, the customer demand that we're seeing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, when we think about um, our SGNA improvements and, and reduction in, in some of the overhead, what we're doing is we're uh, consolidating teams um, that are uh, supporting the weekly uh, meal kit subscription in order to uh, make it as profitable as possible. And we're also ensuring that we have the right skill set and the right teams in place to be able to uh, scale up and grow our on-demand uh, network and, and facilities. And so <clears throat> it's through that process um, of, of really making sure that um, the weekly meal plan is as profitable as possible that we're finding uh, those efficiencies. The second piece is over the past two years, we've been laying the foundation um, of proving out the product market fit, um, proving out the economics and making sure that our on-demand uh, distribution channel <clears throat> is ready to scale. And so as, as many of those foundational pieces are in place, uh, as Neil alluded to, um, uh, thinking about some of the, the hub distribution centers uh, for our on-demand uh, supply chain, um, the technology that we needed to implement uh, in order to enable uh, those real-time orders. Uh, as, as those uh, projects deliver, um, even thinking about building the first um, thousand um, good food private brand products, um, some, of the pro some of the projects uh, once completed also allow us to find some efficiencies in our cost structure. So it, it's a mix of those items. Um, and we still see more room to, to go in terms of being able to uh, create uh, more operating leverage in the business that will improve um, uh, EBITDA. Uh, and we also see continued uh, path to improving our gross margin. Um, and so uh, we're really being thoughtful about how we build um, our cost structure in order to balance that growth and profitability uh, like John Reuter alluded to. So the the trimming you've done on SGNA is that largely complete at this point in time, or is there more to more to happen? They're not fully reflected in this quarter, uh, but from an execution perspective, they're largely completed. Okay, and just on the balance sheet, just want to go back to, I, I know that you do sit with reasonable financial flexibility, but you are. The, the, the scope of investment has stepped up quite meaningfully over the past two quarters. So do you, do you feel confident that you have enough capital available to get to where you want to be with the micro-fulfillment center build-out? Yeah, hey, Michael, it's Neil. Um, so as I was just mentioning to, uh, I believe it was George's question, the big pieces uh, of uh, the network are now built out um, and for the most part uh, paid for, um, which means the, uh, I think we had 12 uh, million in CapEx this quarter. Um, and that number will start to come down uh, and be much more um, flexible and nimble as we see opportunities. So we, uh, you know, we built a team now that can uh, spin up uh, an MSC in uh, somewhere from, from four to eight weeks um, in terms of visibility. Um, and as we said last quarter, uh, less than a million dollars of 
CapEx and uh, OpEx required to get one of these things off the ground. Plus, we're improving that number quite a bit. So if you think about those numbers, the numbers that we're talking about in terms of uh, launches for the rest of the year and uh, flexibility that we have on the balance sheet, we feel like we're in a pretty good spot. Um, we also see that uh, every subsequent uh, MFC, or at least the, the second one that we've launched so far in the GTA, um, performs better than the first one. And we anticipate that to be the case for, uh, for existing city launches as well. So the third and fourth and fifth should, um, should start to contribute at a, at a faster rate than the, uh, than the first um, location in the market. So with, with the underlying OPEX economics and unit economics that we're seeing, we feel pretty good. Uh, the team, uh, team's focus on reducing the CapEx spend and optimizing CapEx spend and, um, and the fact that uh, um, we have, uh, we've built out a lot of the big chunks of the network. Um, we, uh, we feel good about the, the, uh, the position. Okay. And, and re the remaining CapEx for the year was indicated at $25 million. That's over the next three quarters, correct? Yeah, exactly. So we'll continue to, you'll see some of the, um, the invoices and, and payments trickle in from some of the big uh, pieces uh, that, uh, that we were talking about, um, notably the Ottawa facility, which will go live in the coming months, um, and then flexibility around the rest of the, uh, the CapEx spend. And there's also some, uh, some capitalizable tech and uh, engineering spend in there. So yeah, that's what uh, we would anticipate. Okay, thanks. Uh, and maybe I would just add, I mean, You'll, you'll see the progressive decline of CapEx over the course of the year as we transition to, to effectively an asset light growth strategy, right? So, so each MFC is well under a million dollars, as Neil said, each of the, you know, the second and the third cost of each facility. So second and third facility, the cost keeps on falling in terms of, uh, of our CapEx as we, you know, fine tune our, uh, our execution. So ultimately what you're seeing is over the course of, um, of this year, a transition from, hey, we built the hub and as we build up the spokes, we're you know, transitioning to an asset light uh, CapEx strategy. Okay, thanks for taking the questions. And there are no further questions at this time. I will turn the call back over to the presenters for closing remarks. Thanks again for joining us on this call. Um, we look forward to seeing some of you at our uh, shareholder meeting this morning. And for everyone else, we look forward to speaking with you again uh, at our next quarterly call. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.